Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun episode for you guys today. Jess. Oh, Jess. <laughs> My name is Jake. Jess is your wife. Oh, I hope you think You're of like us the, I slightly. I, I hope you think of us slightly differently. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's much taller than you. <laughs> only able, difference. That's the only be, difference. I should be able to tell others. We have a great episode for you guys today. It is the uh, the multi-part series on automotive scandals right so but we're are we gonna leave out the dale car completely the dale car is not in here because we've talked about the dale car at okay. length but that should technically be in here. oh that is of, a big automotive scandal a big automotive scandal yeah i started researching this i was just gonna do like a fun little like countdown like 10 automotive story or scandals you hadn't heard of yeah and then i started digging in and i was like oh my god this is first of all getting really long and it's very interesting sure so i i'm only gonna cover two in this first episode and i still think it's gonna run long all right well we'll see how and then wait, wait, only two this episode this is only two Chris. okay, okay. and right. i don't know how many episodes we're gonna do actually well it might be two, more than two episodes there's two in this episode and i have seven clips lined up yeah wow. okay <laughs> it's gonna be a really fun one all right i'm ready so we'll see how many we get to and how many in the next few episodes because i don't want to say oh it's just yeah, a two-part yeah. episode well, the and then all of a sudden with, it's uh, six episodes same thing we did with lockheed it's like we'll see how it goes right so we see did trains goes. we yeah. did planes and now we're back to the automobile yeah absolutely <laughs> planes trains and automobiles that's, that's how before it goes. we get to it though let's talk about our favorite monthly subscription box petrol box they are made specifically for the automotive enthusiast each month they carefully select items including tools detailing supplies it's always a different type of detailing goodie whether it's there was bug and tar spray remover which i definitely need a lot of that you're not gonna need it as bad as i am well yeah you, up where i live is just i live in, well that and just the amount see, of miles you live you near us you live in a swamp right i left to drive through one yeah on my way so i'm just house. in the swamp already so i don't yeah. have to drive well you're it. pulling at three miles an hour up your 45 degree driveway not collecting <laughs> blood but it's bad man it's well that's it's why bad. it's asphalt remover too so i can it's bug and tar or asphalt remover i can just spray it I'm on my driveway it's wax remover too so besides that, you have apparel, garage gear, stickers, magazines come in. They're all right there sent to 10 your door sockets. Oh, the <laughs> sockets are great. You have both the three-ace drive now and yeah. the quarter-inch drive. Yeah. Just cherry. Sent right there to your doorstep every single month. It's like Christmas every month. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest in the industry. And you probably didn't get an email, Chris. I did not. An email, the email that say? they sent out to all their subscribers that said, hey, are you more interested in domestic European or JDM stuff. Oh, so you can pick? Now they're curating their boxes nice. to more to the interest. Right. So that is very cool. So, so please, are they going to send you Coors Light if you're a Camaro guy? And ooh, I hope we'll so. We'll get some like Hasselrotor as German <laughs> car fans. What's the plan here? Well, it's not a beer subscription box. Oh, well, it could be. <laughs> oh, regardless, check them out at mypetrolbox.com. Be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout. That's going to get you $6 off your first month's order. All right, so on to the top automotive scandals of all time. Not the Dale car. Is, you got to go back. You know what's a top automotive scandal? What's that? People offering me $1,400 for that TDI Golf. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just... just over, like Facebook Marketplace is a top automotive scandal. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say. That's the automotive scandal marketplace. <laughs> yes. No, so we're going to start with the most notable, or at least the most recent. And unless you've been living under a rock the so last there's no, few years. There's no countdown here. This is just... No, no, there isn't. Okay. It's just I started looking through them, and I was like... It, 
if you really want to know how I did this, I did, okay, the most recent, which obviously you'll know about. Yep. This was like a given. I'll yep. get into it. And then I was like, oh, I want to do like a little short one now in between another longer one. And then that short one got really, really, really long. So that's <laughs> okay. why I only have two this week. Okay. All right. So unless you've been living under a rock for the last few years, you obviously know about the largest scandal in the history of the automotive industry. 11 million Volkswagen diesel vehicles worldwide. That's how many the car company admitted to illegally adding a software cheat to make the engines appear more environmentally friendly. The discrepancy was discovered in 2013 by a team of independent researchers testing emissions of diesel cars. Investigative pressure grew and ultimately VW's deception came crashing down. It had defrauded regulators and consumers with cars emitting more poisonous nitrogen oxides than legally permitted. Upon the announcement of a $14.7 billion settlement in 2016, the Deputy Attorney General called it one of the most flagrant violations of our country's consumer and environmental laws. Flagrant, Chris. Flagrant. Flagrant. Like, so flagrant that people are still being arrested. <laughs> so, yes, I have a quick rundown of the timeline because there okay. was a lot that happened. So in are 2014... Where they, where they put like actual people... And like we're gassing oh, them with the God, exhaust. No. Do you remember that? Yes. They had like a beetle or something, and they were doing <laughs> testing on like homeless people yes. or whatever it was. Or first people they that did volunteered. it. First they did it with monkeys, and then like Peto was like, "This is terrible." So, and so they they're just, like, "Okay, well, well just do a volunteers, instead. come yeah. on forward." Yeah, they'd put just, people in a room with running Volkswagens. And just see how terrible it was for these people, which is what the could, most asinine what thing. Could, what could go wrong? You know, you hear about the studies back in like the 40s where they're like, well, we could never reproduce these studies today because they're just so terrible for, you know, human well, they, rights. They did stuff. They tested on people um, with the the uh, the Air Force and, and the Army and the CIA and the FBI tested drugs on unsuspecting people to see yeah. what would happen to them. Yeah, like LSD. That's yes. where it came from. I, I know. know. That's crazy. But you think about all the things you're like, oh, they can never get away with that today. And then they lock people in rooms with Volkswagens. <laughs> it, it, it never changed. Everybody puts way too much trust in big entities. They'll do the right thing, whether it's government, whether it's Volkswagen, whatever. Stop <laughs> trusting people. God. This has been the, uh, what would you call yourself? A conspiracy theorist? Yeah, conspiracy theory conspiracy corner. Happened? <laughs> All right, so in 2014, scientists at West Uvi Hold on a second. What? If I had told you 10 years ago, hey, you know, I think Volkswagen's testing on people. I think they're testing on people. You'd be like, dude, come on. No possible way they'd be doing that. They're not doing anything illegal. Well, it's the Volkswagen. founders it's of the, the company car. definitely were. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a little bit of a history there with the... Anyway, moving on. All right, on. so scientists at West Virginia University discovered an inconsistency while testing several Volkswagen's diesel engines. And I believe, if you look into that study, they were just testing diesel engines of all type. Yeah, they like, were they just, were just like, oh, you know, our diesel's actually better, blah, blah, blah. And they go, wait a minute. The software used in the vehicles they come to figure out was able to detect when a car was being tested for exhaust emissions and would then use a different programming to run cleaner. You know how they did that? I don't actually. It's so they did it. They were is testing it wheel on, speed sensors. They were doing it on the dyno. Right. And guess what? When you have a front wheel drive car, they just know the that dyno, the rear, if the, if the front wheels are going, the rear wheels aren't, they would put it in test mode. Ah, I didn't know, realize it was yeah, that simple. Did I didn't it. know that's if they how, used GPS. Nope, or, that's how it was defeated. It's just the rear wheels aren't wow. turning. 
So I wonder if these uh, scientists had like a four-wheel dyno and all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, these numbers are off the chart. Yeah, I'm not sure there. Regardless, in normal real-world driving, the vehicles would revert to a different engine programming which would allow it to produce pollutants that were over 40 times greater than the legal limit. And what kind of pollutants are we talking about here? Uh, Is it it's a lot of NOx, yeah. yep, a lot of the bad stuff. And without restricting exhaust emissions, of course, the vehicle would be able to achieve better fuel economy, range, torque, all the things you want. All the things people want. The engineers had apparently intended to cheat the system to obtain the unhampered performance of a diesel while pulling one over on the EPA. Now, when this allegation was initially brought up to Volkswagen officials, they denied it. Peter, did you take the money from the family jar? Who, me? Yes, me. Couldn't be. Then who? Yeah, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Last part. They're basically like, no, we would never. Yeah, we're just we we're a know. big responsible big yes. company. How could we? And actually, at the time when you heard it, you kind of thought like, no, they a company That's worth what I'm saying. billions would never. They, they would could never. Do never. It. There's way too much at risk. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's not the case. So in 2015, the EPA officially announces that Volkswagen had been duping the U.S. Volkswagen admits to the issue, and knowing the investigation will obviously continue further, states, um, actually, guys, the defeat was not just present on U.S. vehicles, but was equipped on over 11 million vehicles sold worldwide. A full stop of vehicle sales is first ordered. Then, all of Volkswagen's European offices are raided by police and officials. Isn't Volkswagen the biggest automotive manufacturer in the world? It was before this happened. I think they still are now. No, I think. they felt right after this happened, they fell behind at Toyota. And then I think they maybe crept yeah, back up. Yeah, I think up. they crept back up. But this will um, do it. Hey, we're gonna not going to make any cars at all. That'll put, they, a, that'll put a damper on things. Yes. Uh, CEO Martin Winterkorn apologized and resigned at that time. That dude is in jail. Or was in jail. He just got out of jail. He was oh, in he jail got for out like already. 40, 48 months, 48, 40 months. Okay, um, where did he serve? Some terrible, like... Michigan. Oh. How would you like to be a German executive serving in serving your prison? Actually, I in bet Michigan, Michigan isn't great. No, not as some German dude. <laughs> this dude doesn't have any hair. He's German. He's got blue eyes, and he got shoved in some Michigan penitentiary. Yeah. He couldn't could have been good for anybody. Yeah. Well, in October of 2015, the head of Volkswagen US, Michael Horn, testified to US lawmakers stating, quote, this was not a corporate decision. To the best of my knowledge today, this was just a couple of software engineers who put this in for whatever reason. Mr. Sims, you are a cover-up artist and you are a liar. But not a snitch! <laughs> Excuse me? No, I don't think I will. <laughs> Mr. Slade. This is such a crock of shit! <laughs> Please watch your language, Mr. Slade. You are in the Baird School, not a barracks. Mr. Sims, I will give you one final opportunity to speak on. Mr. Sims doesn't want it. <laughs> Such a great scene. I've never seen the whole movie. That's from A Scent of a Woman. Oh, and Al Pacino's okay. this blind lawyer that just doesn't take shit. It could just be the, the scent of a diesel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. So shortly after, Mr. Horn. No, okay, so there's no way that these engineers acted Just like did it by own. themselves. Like, hey. Hey Hans, come over. Look, Look what I did. I'm, I'm curious. Did they? Did the engineers go to jail? Did they? As far as I could tell, no engineers went to jail. It was eight executives that were indicted. Yeah, I don't think the engineers would because they're usually acting on behalf of the instructions and jobs that oh, they're given. That's a whole another weird parallel to Nazis oh. that we could make. Yeah, I suppose that's People probably true. Following instructions, yeah. but anyways, that guy, Mr. Horn, yeah, he resigned. 
uh, because he was lying. Yep. 2016 sees Volkswagen offer a buyback program of all affected vehicles. The final settlement, settlement, not sediment, that's what's in a river. The final <laughs> settlement included the company paying out $10 billion to affected owners. Sediment is also what's in all the cars that sat around for like three years. Well, yeah, that and what <laughs> the exhaust is lots. putting out. <laughs> I, I, bought, I bought one of those cars. One of the let me let me wait to get to that because I have a comment on that. All right, all right. So the settlement included ten billion paid out to effective owners, and that came to basically every owner was given a five hundred dollar check. Just here's a check. Here's five hundred bucks. Do you feel better now? Plus, (laughs) they bought back the car at full price after two years. So basically, you were paid to drive the car for two years for five hundred dollars. The reason being, the media made it sound like. Every U.S. citizen that bought one of these was an unwitting accomplice yes. in murdering the environment. I saw all kinds of Which, okay. all kinds of people that were just like, "Oh no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm such an evil person. What am yeah. I going to do?" Oh, well, here's five hundred. My car is murdering people. Oh, five hundred bucks. Okay, I'll <laughs> <laughs> basically, but forty times the legal limit. Like that is a lot more it than people lot. thought they were doing. Yep. Um, in addition to the $10 billion, two affected owners, $2.7 billion was allocated for environmental cleanup and $2 billion to promote zero emission vehicles, which is basically what their whole program is yeah, now. Yeah, $60, 70000000000 billion, whatever they're spending. On yep, along with criminal charges being filed against the eight executives How do you do environmental cleanup? Mentioned. How do you do environmental cleanup of the air? Are they That's just, what I don't get. I think like they just kind of earmarked it and said, okay, you know what? This is for the, the US EPA to do like oil spill cleanup. And it's just so they stop dishwash. people from cutting down trees in their yard. And we'll, like if you have a pond in your backyard, yeah. you can't do anything with it because it might be navigable waters. It's 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 that kind of thing. Isn't <laughs> exactly. It? Yeah, yeah, yes. I got it. I got it. I, I know where that story came from. Well, where did it come from? I don't remember. Tell me. Go. Let's see. It. Let's have it. Let's no, have I'm it. not telling that one on, on air. No. 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 We'll save that for another. The time. navigable water one. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's where that story came from. I told you a story. Oh, I don't remember. I'll tell you a story. Oh, later. everybody's so angry <laughs> with you right now. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Tell the story. So, I don't remember. So tell it. A guy. I did tell you this before. A guy I know bought some property adjoining his land that he was going to build a garage on, okay? Okay, some nowhere place. Yes, and it was actually kind of a marshy area that he bought from a swamper, uh, from a farmer, not a swamper. That's that's not a thing. <laughs> it was a swamp he bought from a farmer adjoining his property. I swamper's a thing in Florida. Well, that's just the big trucks they put on big swampers. <laughs> yes. But regardless, this was just like a low-level area the farmer couldn't use, yep. so they got it really cheap, and so they wanted to get a building permit to put this building up. And the like DNR, an like a pole barn. Yeah, pole barn. So the DNR had to come out, and this woman came out, very stereotypical tree hugger, I'll call her. And they're expecting her to just say, yeah, this is fine. You can bring in some fill. She's walking around with her waders and looking at all the different plants. Look at this beautiful foliage and everything else. And oh my goodness, this is such beautiful wetland habitat. You know what, guys? I'm sorry. This is only one of 750 million acres (laughs) like it. We must be saved. And so these people I know bought this property and now the DNR said, you know what? To make sure that you can't do anything with it, we're designating it navigatable waters. Now, granted, it's like, yeah, it's kind of mushy, Whose but you just bring it? in fill. Did, did, it wasn't, was it previously like parkland or something? No, previously or? it was a farmer's land, okay. and now this so other pr- private property bought it, Got but it. they're saying, well, we're going to call it navigatable wetland so that you can't build anything on it. 
Yep, now it's protected. <laughs> so this guy I know said, fine, screw you. He bought two big industrial pontoons, laid them down, built a structure on top of it, and then built a giant shed on top of that. And the DNR can't say shit because guess what? That's a boat. It's a boat. And you can have a boat on navigable waters by definition. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty good. I don't know how we got to that story. <laughs> but anyways. Moving on. <laughs> what else have we got? <laughs> Um, so with the whole Dieselgate thing, here's what I questioned. Was this actually better for the environment? Because there are thousands and at one time perhaps millions of these virtually brand new cars that were taken off the road and were literally just sitting in massive parking lots. And I've always said, Chris, the most environmentally friendly car you can have is the one you already own. It's not, it's think not, of, it's not, think not of all the resources and energy that went into manufacturing these vehicles. It's not what it was all about. the factories are powered by probably coal power plants or anything else that produces pollutants and all the materials they have to make and all the byproducts of all care. that. What happened to all them? It wasn't the they, point. they could not have all been fixed, right? It's not the point. I know, but let me finish. So there was a retrofit where they made them now correct or like yep. not polluting. Were all of them then? Because I know not many of them that got sold again, or did many of them get crushed, put in landfills, only have more resources and energy spent on replacing them with different vehicles for people to buy. It was all about making an example out of someone who broke the hallowed rule. That's just, pretty much what it comes down you know to. What, you know what? That's what it is. I mean, they I just know. wanted to spank somebody. They I wanted know. to put them over their knee and go. <laughs> Do you know what the moral of the story is? Uh, just put pontoons on it. Just put pontoons <laughs> on it. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about Oberk Car yes, Care. Yes, Oberk Car Care is your source for professional detailing compounds and supplies that's researched, tested, and developed by professional detailers themselves. These are the guys that are passionate about detailing and know firsthand what makes a good product. They're truly great products. I love this simple, foolproof two-step process for their cut and buff. It's easy and gives an amazing finish. And it was funny. One of our listeners was saying, huh, apparently you're getting the word out about Oberk because all of a sudden it started popping up on their social now. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> right now they're actually offering a whopping 20% off your next order when you use the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only at oberkcarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com and carsuppliesWarehouse.com. Go check them out today. It's almost warm enough that I can turn the faucet on outside my house. Clean the, the car and yeah, clean do some the car, buffing. The car. Yeah, it's I need there. to do that as well. We're almost there. All right. This next story of automotive fraud is one you probably haven't heard of, and I'm willing to bet you haven't even heard of the company. All right. Besides the story of fraud, there is an interesting parallel here that I'll circle back to and see if you want to pick up on. Uh, is that is that a pun right there? Pick up on it? Or no? I'm already looking for the answer. Is it we're going to pick up on something? I, I, didn't, truck? I didn't mean uh, No, I didn't oh, mean okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were already giving me clues. No, no. Right. Just wait. All right. So during World War II, Detroit's big three automakers and really all industries in the country had shifted all production towards wartime efforts. As such, America hadn't really seen a new car since 1941. And because of this, Americans were jonesing for new cars. Who's jonesing? Is that a guy? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because this was a stupid <laughs> tangent I went on. So do you know where the term jonesing comes from? No, there's probably some guy named Jones who who is just like super excited all the time. Maybe like a little bit of a shorter guy, wore sandals. That Are type. you just talking about me? Because <laughs> <Are> you? <laughs> you're always jonesing, jonesing for something. No, so jonesing means you're like in a state of withdrawal or need a fix. And the term that, originally that's you. references <laughs> drugs, but it has oh. come to gently mean any strong craving. So, 
The phrase jonesing is believed to originally derive from the Grateful Dead song, Casey Jones. Oh no. <laughs> not a deadhead? No, this is not my, this is not my Just, just wait for the, the last verse. Okay. That's fine. But that's supposedly where jonesing came from, is Casey Jones is the the guy on cocaine who's jonesing for his next Yeah, I, I do not like the Grateful Dead. I don't understand that whole Grateful Dead movement. Like, they're just... Not a deadhead, huh? I, I really don't even know much of, like, their work. Oh, it's awful. It's all just like that. It's just all <laughs> just... I don't know. You must it's have It's because you're not a pothead. Yeah, I'm not jonesing for anything, exactly. so I don't like it. Yeah. You won't get it. All right, anyways, back to America jonesing for new cars. Enter Preston Tucker, which, full disclosure here, I initially wanted to just focus on the Tucker Car Company and the fraud that they later faced, but the story of the founder is just too damn good. So okay. bear with me here. Okay. Tucker grew up in the Detroit suburbs and was raised by a single mother after his father died of appendicitis while he was only two. Ooh, too bad. So he's two years old. He doesn't have a dad. His mom is a single mother, and it's in the early 1900s. Wait, he's two years old? He's only two when his dad dies. Oh, oh! I I heard that as he died of appendicitis when I was two, and I'm just like, wow, he was was he drawing cars at like a year and a half? And I just couldn't figure it out. And uh, that's the story <laughs> of Tucker. Preston Tucker. He died of appendicitis. It's over. Okay, got it. No, no, no. His dad had appendicitis when he was only two, so his mother was like a single mother yeah, all of a sudden. Got it. That's tough in the early 1900s. So he basically had to start helping out at a young age, and in doing so, he learned to drive at age 11 and was subsequently obsessed with cars since. He later quit school and landed a job as an office boy, whatever an office boy is, probably just that like a- quotes. That's just a runner. That's just a guy taking yeah, five folders I just, around. Yeah, that's not an official term. Yeah, so I didn't know- You can't just hit send on the sales ticket and have it go over to the other department. There's <laughs> I suppose the you need the office boy. Office boy. Take the okay. folder so he landed the job as the office boy for the Cadillac Motor Company, where he, quote, used roller skates to make his rounds more efficient. That's like going from 56K to ISDN. <laughs> 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 that's like getting broadband. <laughs> that's gig speed right there, man. I can just imagine these like stuffy Cadillac managers like this damn kid on his roller skates yeah, and then the other guy goes uh, super hey, fast. he's fast man he's fast. <laughs> so he did that for a while then in 1922 tucker decided he wanted to join the local police force for a very specific reason he thought he could arrest people on roller skates <laughs> <laughs> not quite no the fastest cars and motorcycles that he saw on the road around town were owned by the police department and tucker wanted to drive them there you go but that was short-lived. You see, his mother was so worried about him driving around in the fast cars and being on motorcycles and basically just being a police officer, which right. is dangerous. She called the police chief and happened to tell him that, guess what? My son Tucker's only 19. Oh, what a narc. And that is way below the department's <laughs> minimum age requirement. And so they had to fire him. That was the end of that. Was that was the end of that. After a did short he actually, I wonder if he got to, he probably got to drive the car. Oh, I'm sure he did. So he got what he needed out of Don't it. Don't wait. There's more to that story. Okay. <laughs> After a short stint working at a Ford assembly plant, Tucker returned to the police force again. But he was promptly banned from driving police cars. <laughs> okay. You see, he was on patrol. It was winter. It's cold in Detroit. So he used a blowtorch to cut a hole in the car's dashboard to allow the engine heat to warm the cabin. Did these things have heat? He, that was... I don't think it did. He's an industrious young man. He goes, you know what? 
we're just going to modify this sucker <laughs> with a blowtorch. Blow <laughs> well, you know, he's probably sitting there with the blowtorch trying to keep warm. And he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, probably. Wait a minute. Probably. So that was the end of his police career. I thought you were going to tell me he was drifting around Detroit or something like that. That which, would have been cool, yeah. too. Uh, during the early 1930s, Tucker began an annual one-month trek to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Having a heavy interest in race cars and their designers, Tucker met Harry Miller, who was maker of more Indianapolis 500 winning engines than any other person during that period. That's a good to know me guy right there. A better engineer than businessman, however, Miller declared bankruptcy in 1933 and was looking for new opportunities. That's when Tucker persuaded Miller to join him in building race cars, and they formed the Miller and Tucker Incorporated. It was in 1935, and they continued until Miller's death in 1943. Then, in late 1937, when recovering in an Indianapolis hospital from an appendectomy, isn't that what his dad died from? Appendicitis. No, appendicitis. So this guy got appendicitis, and they tried to take it out, and he died. So they, the, the other dude, uh, the other dad, got it and died of it. This guy got it and died. Well, this is the son. Yeah. Yeah, he's trying to, yeah, too bad. Okay, so now the son had it, and he's recovering in a hospital from appendicitis. Uh, Tucker was reading the news about war looming on the horizon in Europe, and he got the idea of developing a high-speed armored combat vehicle. In 1936, Mr. Tucker saw the war clouds looming on the horizon, and he put aside his plans for building his car Maybe. to work on ideas for war equipment should war come to his country. After months of intensive engineering and designing work, he built the Tucker combat car and later the famous Tucker gun turret. The combat car had everything, including his power-operated gun turret, complete bulletproofing and air conditioning for the operator. However, it had one drawback. It was too fast. A hundred <laughs> miles an hour, the fastest combat car ever built. At that time, it was the opinion that a combat car shouldn't be driven over 35 miles an hour, so the government wasn't interested in contracting for any at that time. And besides, the prospect of war to many seemed remote, but it would have been a nice thing to have in 1941 and 45. So this is 1937. Sorry, your, your, your murder truck is just too <laughs> it's fast. It's too damn fast. <laughs> and I showed you a video of this thing. thing is, does move. It has like dual 50 cal machine guns and a turret on top of it. Yeah. And so that thing also is hydraulic operated and it like moves, it shifts super quick. Yeah. So Sounds it was awesome. It was awesome. So the but design. He didn't get the contract. He didn't. The design for the Tucker Tiger went the way of the Dodo. However, the Navy did show interest in that fast moving turret as a standalone device. As an interesting aside, though, Harry Miller, which remember was his business partner, yeah. would later take some of the designs from the Tucker combat car to American Bantam where he was involved in the development of the first Jeep. So can we say that this Tucker guy is really the father of the Jeep? There's definitely some influence in yeah, there. Yeah, okay. Because American Bantam was actually the company that won the contract for the Jeep, but they weren't big enough to manufacture it at scale, so they just gave the designs to Ford and Chrysler. That's patriotism right there. Yeah, that was really cool. And you can hear about that entire story on another of our previous episodes covering the history of the Jeep and its development. So after 1943, Tucker moved back to Michigan, intending to start his own auto company, the Tucker Corporation. So here we are, in the wake of World War II, Americans are ready to move forward and are ready for a totally new car design. But as mentioned, the big three weren't 
developing anything during war time. They're too busy building bombs and planes. Exactly. So it's kind of interesting to think about this time where there just wasn't any new cars out for several years. So Tucker saw his opportunity to develop what he called his car of tomorrow. Oh, no. Anytime you call (laughs) (laughs) I'm already like, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So Tucker's first design appeared in the December 1946 issue of Science Illustrated. Tucker's future car became known as the Tucker Torpedo. However, not desiring to stir up uh, the minds of yeah, horror in talk about World War II, yeah, he quickly changed the name to the Tucker 48. Why was it called 48? I don't know exactly. It was in 46. Maybe it was supposed to be released in 48. That's weird, though, to call your car by the model year. Maybe it's, you know, it's the future. That's true. It's, it's the, the future. future. It should have been the it's Tucker the 2000. Today. It's the future today. Well, the car was kind of futuristic sure. when you listen to the specifications. Okay, let's hear. So it called for a rear engine configuration. All right, I'm in. Let's go. Using <laughs> a low RPM, 589 cubic inch displacement engine with hydraulically actuated valves in lieu of a traditional camshaft and featured fuel injection instead of carburetors. And this is back in 1946. Hold on. So... What do you mean it had hydraulically actuated valves instead of a camshaft? I don't know. That's as far as they went with it. You couldn't find out in test because I'm like super interested. Is this, <laughs> is this a Konus egg? Like, what yes, are we, like, exactly. It's a Konus egg. Although that is pneumatic. Yeah, but hydraulic. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this, I think what, that what was. controlled this system? That was the plane. Wow. Incredible. That doesn't, that, that's not even like the craziest parts. Okay, okay. The drivetrain consisted of direct drive torque converters on each rear wheel instead of a transmission. Those Explain would feature, I don't know that either, Chris. <laughs> I think there's like, it's just shafts going out and then there's torque converters. And I don't know if you could like, oh, could you do the like tank steer it then? You oh, know, you could. Yeah. I suppose. yeah. Why not? Uh, disc brakes on all four corners, which is super revolutionary in the forties. Uh, supposedly self sealing tubeless tires, whatever that means. And it's a run flat. Somehow. It's a run flat. Yeah. Uh, the interior featured a novel padded dashboard. Keep in mind, everything was steel at this time. Right. He wanted this to be a really safe car. The chassis was protected occupants in a side impact, which, what a thought! Right. Side impact, crash standards, and it had an integrated roll bar within the roof. It also had a laminated windshield designed to pop out during an accident, which I'm not sure how effective that would be. The most notable exterior feature, however, besides its streamlined styling, was a center Cyclops headlight, which would pivot into the direction okay. of travel. I think I've seen this. When the car was steeped that. more than 10 degrees in either direction. Um, while most of those That's, innovations- I remember when I bought, I bought a Touareg TDI once, and yeah. it had the headlights that move. I remember driving around the dark with my wife being like, hey, honey, look. And I yeah, like, turned me the wheel, too. and the headlights would move back and forth. Yeah. It's such like a weird novelty. Like, ooh, look at the headlights. I mean, it's basically standard now. Yeah, or really they have it. like the, the Macan, they don't swivel, but it has another light that turns on. Yeah, yeah that turning, seems to be more commonplace. Which makes more sense, less to break. Um, let's see. The Most of the innovations made it into the final prototypes, However, several were dropped for their cost and lack of time to develop such designs. The low RPM, 589 cubic inch monster of an engine, individual torque converters and mechanical fuel injection and the disc brakes were all dropped during the design and testing phases. So we made this car. It's super cool. (laughs) (laughs) This is called a bait and switch. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. You're not getting any of this stuff. Well, it's okay because having run out of time to develop the massive engine, Tucker instead settled on a modified 334-inch Franklin aircraft 
engine. Okay, that's a big difference. Well, I showed you this engine. It's almost just as crazy, if not more crazy. The engine looks like an air-cooled Porsche Flat 6 tipped up on its end as if it was in like an outboard motor with a massive flat fan on the front of it. Yeah, how did this fit in the car? I do not know. <laughs> no idea. Uh, Tucker liked the engine so much that he decided to simply purchase the company that built it for a cool $1.8 million in $1947. Where's this guy getting his money? Let's get to that. <laughs> okay. Right. So Tucker was able to assemble a group of the industry's foremost leaders. These are the who's who of management in the automotive industry, and they're poached directly from the halls of the big three. The Tucker Corporation then went on to secure the largest factory building in the world at the time, 82-acre Dodge Chicago aircraft engine plant, which occupied over 30 city blocks. It's a large structure. It's massive. It's a it's half large. a mile wide by half a mile long. Porsche should have taken the Taycan over there for the high-speed indoor ride. Yeah, you're right. Why not go there? It's way bigger. <laughs> the facility had previously been used to build the massive Cyclone engines for the D-29 bombers during World War II, and fun fact, is still mostly intact, being leased by both Ford and the Tootsie Roll Corporation, of all things. Probably make a lot of Tootsie Rolls in that Or building. like very, very long Tootsie Rolls. Have you ever heard of a, uh, a of Tootsie Rolls, the most overrated candy of all time? They're it, so gross. They're not great. You expect chocolate. They look like chocolate, and they're not they taste, chocolate. They taste more like turds than chocolate, and they look like it, too. It's, they're not, it's good. not good. No, I, I know. All right, so Tucker signed the lease uh, for the building, contingent, however, on him raising $15 million in capital by March of the following year. And so, Tucker found himself needing to raise a ton of capital very quickly. He began selling dealership rights and floating a $20 million stock issue through the Chicago brokerage firm of Floyd D. Cerf. However, the Tucker Car Company's most controversial fundraising method was yet to come. Is this a man or a woman? <laughs> just checking just checking no this is not the dale car I'm not the dale corp i'm just checking. not dale corp no. no the tucker car company's accessories program raised funds by selling accessories before the car was in production uh -huh. potential buyers who purchased tucker accessories were guaranteed a spot on the dealer waiting list for a tucker 48 car this happened to raise some eyebrows at the sec Hey, 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 what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so feeling the pressure from the SEC, Harry Tolman Jr., who was the chairman of the Tucker Board of Directors, resigned and wrote the following letter to the SEC on September 26, 1947, in an effort to distance himself from the investigation. Hey, 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 what is going on here? No, he didn't no, say that. He didn't say that. No, quote, I have resigned because of the manner in which Preston Tucker is using the funds obtained for the public through sale of stock. He went on to describe Tucker as a, quote, tall, dark, delightful, but inexperienced boy. Ooh. Adding that Tucker's machine does not actually run. It just goes goose geese. And I don't even know if it can back up. What does goose geese mean? I have no idea what goose geese means. Goose geese. What would that be? It back just goes forth? goose geese. Back and forth? You know, goose, geese. Yeah, but it can't back up, so it can't go I back. Guess it, can't go, it can't go forth, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Now, in truth, the first prototype vehicle did, in fact, lack a reverse gear. So it would not geese. It would not geese. It would just goose. Because, remember, Tucker had that crazy direct drive quart converter in each wheel. And so I don't know how you get that to reverse, really. But Just change the hydraulic something or other. (laughs) The valve train, maybe. I don't know. But this was obviously corrected when the final drive line. All this stuff has to be hydraulic of some sort. Because this dude was all over the hydraulic miniguns. There's the like, hydraulic mini in the in the in the, the, military the hundred vehicle. mile an hour yeah jeep yeah, the, thing the, the yeah, super yeah. jeep with the with yeah, the hydraulic yeah, guns I yeah, mean yeah. I bet some of the stuff was hydraulic this guy liked hydraulics I'm sure he yeah. did yeah that was like the future in the 1940s yeah hydraulics uh, so the whole reverse issue was obviously corrected in the final driveline edition but the public damage was done and a negative media frenzy resulted. Tucker responded by publishing a full-page advertisement in many national newspapers with, quote, an open letter to the automobile industry, wherein he subtly hinted that his efforts to build the cars were being stymied from from not only politics, but also SEC conspiracies. Yeah, they're after me. They're after me. These ideas are too good. These ideas are too good. Yeah. This is the same thing that happened with (laughs) Tesla. It's the same thing that happened with that, like, the original electric car. I don't even remember what the thing was called. What was it called? The, the Ford, I, the Ford electric car thing. Oh, the EV1? The EV1, same yeah. thing that happened with the EV1. We can't even have fusion and perpetual <clears throat> energy machines because the government is an yeah. SEC. They're after me. Exactly. Wear your tin hats now. Yes. Uh, nonetheless, dealership owners began filing lawsuits to receive their money, and Tucker's stock value plummeted. In 1949, Tucker was forced to surrender accessories. Like it's just like an ashtray would show up in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. Just the accessories showed up. Like the the curb feelers would show up. FedEx. Oh yeah, (laughs) we should bring you that curb feelers. Why not? I I like that. You don't need to bring them back. If you want curb feelers, you can have. In 1949, Tucker was forced to surrender his corporate records to the U.S. SEC. A grand jury investigation began in February of 1949. Soon after, Tucker and six other Tucker Corporation executives were indicted on 25 counts of mail fraud, five counts of violation of SEC regulations, and one count of conspiracy to defraud. Just one guy? One count? I don't know why the one count versus like the 30 others, but regardless, the trial began on October 4th in 1949, and Tucker Corporation's factory was closed on the same day. They're like, hey, if you're under indictment, you cannot be operating. Yeah. And you need to understand the media frenzy that this indictment produced. Reader's Digest and other publications got a hold of the supposedly confidential indictment papers and just published them. Whoa. Like, so I'm going to say that this this scandal seems bigger and more gratuitous than the Volkswagen scandal, than uh, Dieselgate. Maybe. Just in terms of sheer what the hell's going on. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah, hey, 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 what? Hey, 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 what is going on here? <laughs> I didn't play that clip during the Volkswagen. Uh, one. You're right, you didn't. So, news outlets were sensationalizing the story, and the Tucker Company went on a PR defense mission, releasing full page ads in national newspapers. And at that point, only 37 Tucker 48s had been built. Interestingly, a group of 300 loyal employees returned to the factory, some without pay even, and finished assembling another 13 cars for a total production of 50 cars plus the prototype. So there were a lot of people who were like, look, yes, he's getting funding from some weird places, but he's honest and he wants to make the car. 
At trial, the government contended that Tucker never did intend to produce a car in the first place. He did produce some of them, though. Exactly. But at the time, they're thinking, you know what? He's just trying to get money and pocket it. As the trial proceeded, the government and SEC brought several witnesses, most former employees, to highlight the rudimentary methods used by Tucker to develop a car. The early suspensions were installed three times before they worked. So? And so early a- parts were even taken from junkyards to build a prototype, Chris. So what? So what? Who cares? Answering back in Tucker's defense, designer Alex Tremulous testified that it's common industry practice to use old car parts for a prototype build and pointed out that he had done the same damn thing when he was involved with developing the 1942 Oldsmobile under General Motors. It seems like common practice. This right. Does, all of this But seems all these fun. guys that are trying to indict him and say, you're doing something shady, are like, well, look at this. He's just, he's gluing things together with wood and using old parts and there's a lawnmower there's, engine under, for God's sake. There's no geese. Where's the <laughs> it's geese? only goose. Show me the geese. Uh, Tucker Vice President Lee Treese testified that Tucker's metal stamping and parts fabrication operations were 90% ready to mass produce the car by June 1948 and that outside interference has slowed down the final preparations for production. So what you're saying is when the government shuts your doors and puts a chain on the Somehow line and, you can, and you're you, not able it, to... It's, it hampers you a little it does, bit. It does. When the SEC comes down on your company and essentially crashes your stock price and destroys your company, yep. you're no longer able to manufacture Yeah, something. but they're looking... Look, go look right over there. Look across the street. See? They're not making cars. This See? Is, this seems... See? This, See? Speaking of being torpe- <laughs> Speaking of torpedoes, yeah. that's what the SEC exactly. appears... So far, from what I'm hearing, exactly. the SEC torpedoed the torpedo. They did indeed. This back and forth between the prosecution and the defense continued until November 8th, 1949, when the judge demanded the SEC prosecutors, quote, get down to the meat of the case and start proving the conspiracy charge. Even the judge is like, what is going on? Where is it? Where is it? Show me the money. The government star. Where's the beef? (laughs) (laughs) It's what's for dinner, Chris. The government star witness, Daniel J. Elzens, a former Tucker dealership owner and distributor from St. Paul, Minnesota, testified that he had lost $28,000 in his investment in the Tucker Corporation. Was that before or after the SEC torpedoed the goose? Yeah, exactly. Probably invested $28,000 to get a dealership going, and then, well, where's the cars? Yeah. I don't know. Ask the SEC. The They're the one on the that shut down the corporation. You know what's what's kind of like a, an interesting parallel is you have, uh, there was this this bar in California that was said, obviously, coronavirus, you can't open your doors. Right. So they went over there, and they put a chain on the door. Yeah. Okay, so then... <laughs> The guy comes over, cuts the chain off the door, lets people in anyway. They come over and they uh, basically um, put like a plywood over it or whatever. Okay, so they barricade the door. So they barricade the door. So he takes the barricade off the door, removes the door, and puts saloon doors. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Not going to lock those. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he should have done. He should have just put saloon doors on the factory. Clearly. So here's this this dealer from St. Paul who's pissed off because he lost all this money. And this is the SEC star witness, mind you. Right. Look at this guy. He got swindled. However, on cross-examination, the defense used this witness to their advantage when Ellens testified that he still drove his Tucker 48 given to him by Tucker and that the car had 35,000 miles on it and still cruised smoothly at 90 miles an hour. In Mexico. Right. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) I don't know why he's saying that during a grand jury, but regardless, it's like, okay, so here we're on trial for a guy who supposedly isn't intending on making cars. And this guy's driven the car 35,000 miles. But you've already driven this car that isn't supposed to exist. So regardless, whoa, whoa, whoa. this is the guy that lost $28,000. Yes. Oh. yes. 
Yes, they're like, okay, but hold on. You have the car and like, it's all in good faith. I'm just imagining All they're the trying to prove some, is, is this in good faith that they're trying to make cars? I'm imagining some smoke-filled courtroom and this this, this, <laughs> this Daniel J. Ellens from St. Paul, Minnesota yeah. is up there and like, he's like pulling out his collar, you know, like the classic pull your well, collar with the like finger. Gulp. Yeah, he's like sweating, just beads on his forehead. I drove the thing 35,000 miles. Yeah, exactly. So regardless of all these controversial funding methods, Tucker was wholeheartedly intending on mass producing cars. It certainly sounds that way. Yes. The tide turned in Tucker's favor when the government called its final witness, SEC accountant, Joseph Turnbull, who testified that Tucker had taken in over $28 million and kept most of it for himself. However, upon cross-examination, the accountant could not produce any solid evidence of this claim. They're like, okay, well, show us the books. Well, you know, I didn't see it in the books, but, uh, but that's what's going on. After this final witness, Tucker's defense attorneys surprised everyone by refusing to call any witnesses to the stand. That's actually something that's been done many times. Well, listen to this. I love this explanation. Defense attorney Daniel Glasser told the court, quote, it is impossible to present a defense when there has been no offense. Basically, you guys sunk your own ship. Yeah. yeah. What do you expect us to defend? There's nothing to defend. What followed was the best closing argument I've ever heard in a court case. Listen to this. In his closing arguments, Kirby became tearful and stated that Tucker, quote, either intended to cheat, and that's all they intended to do, or they tried in good faith to produce a car. The two are irreconcilable. He then invited all members of the jury to take a ride in one of the eight Tucker 48s parked right in front of the courthouse before they made their decision. I mean, yeah. Either did he intend on making cars or didn't he? And by the way, why don't you take a ride in one of them before you decide? And they're probably great. They're probably yes. fine. I mean, who knows what they, I don't, I've never obviously tried <laughs> But they're, they're probably fine. Yeah, exactly. On January 22nd, 1950, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty on all counts for all accused. And of course, what you can turn around and do is you can sue the government. Nope. Oh, that's right. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, well, you won your I'm, court I'm case. I'm sure it's okay. It doesn't matter I'm that sure your it's life okay. is over. And no, it's fine. All you. they have to do is take the lock off the door and all's back to normal. Yeah, it's right? no problem. Yeah. Nope. Tucker had won the trial, but the Tucker Corporation was no more. They ruined his life. With such negative publicity and public opinion of the car, orders dried up. It doesn't matter. People weren't going to order this car yeah, now. Why bother? It's just... The company also faced numerous lawsuits from dealerships that were angry with the production delays that were caused by the SEC shutdown. Today, there are 47 surviving examples of the Tucker 48. They occasionally come up for high-profile auction and generally fetch multi-million dollar bids. Now, Chris, what I found fascinating about this story is the fact that at its core, the government was so concerned that the Tucker Car Company was defrauding consumers by taking deposits on a future product that it stepped in and frankly overstepped. Yet, there is a current car company that has been taking deposits of fifty to $250,000 per person and has been sitting on those deposits since 2017. Well, We are still no closer to seeing said production vehicle or even a development version of this vehicle with expected timelines continuing to be pushed out year after year. What's more, the technology promised on this vehicle are far more outlandish than anything Tucker was touting about his. For example, it's going to have 
uh, an option to have uh, rocket thrusters. Rocket thruster? Yes, from SpaceX. All right. Yeah. How, uh, how does that work? See, I don't know when you're kidding and when you're not. Now. No, in this I'm, case, I'm, I am serious. You're going to have rocket thrusters. Um, yes. And what will provide the thrust? There's no fuel in the car. No, we're going to use ultra-high-pressure compressed air. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's <laughs> Okay. Um, All right. The main thrust will be like uh, behind the license plate. Right. So uh, for acceleration, it drops the license plate, and just and, and that behind the license plate is a rocket thruster. Mm-hmm. You know what the difference is, though? <sighs> Tell me. The difference is the government wants Tesla to succeed. You think so? Are you serious? American company. Uh, so was Tucker. Yeah, but this is climate change is like a cult movement at this point. It is off the rails with its momentum. There's nothing you can do. They, they don't want Elon Musk and Tesla, basically the the god of the climate change movement in the automotive industry, to see anything negative happen to them. They're not going to go after this guy. What they'll go after him for is manipulating stock prices, though. Yes, that is something that like that they are very happy to go after him for. But this type of stuff. Nah. nah. No way. Not going to happen. <sighs> Who knows? Regardless, those are the first two stories of scandal in the automotive industry, with many more to come in part two. I mean, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that, you know, you play that clip at the end of, of uh, Elon <laughs> saying there's going to be <laughs> rocket, rocket thrusters. It's, the fact that he has been allowed to take deposits and the fact that- So much money. Nobody's freaking out about it. Right. But the SEC and everybody else. Is Where just, is the SEC on this? They're not going to step in until people file claims or they file complaints. It's not their job. They're, they're going to well, wait. Well, back in 1946, I don't know if they got complaints, but. Yeah, well, I'm assuming I, I'm assuming they do. You know, I think that's probably what it's going to take is when people are like, okay, here's the thing. Can you get your money back? I'm, you probably that's can. That's what it is. If you yeah. can get your money back, what's, you what's probably the big deal? Can. I think you can call up Tesla and be like, yeah, the, uh, the, I don't need the rocket car anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to have to go ahead and have my money Which back. Which I'm sure you can. I want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. If you already left us a review... Leave us a new review. That would be great. <laughs> update. Yeah, update they're your review. They're not even, terrible. They're even more awesome than I ever imagined when pretty I rewrote good. my They're pretty good. Pretty good. They're pretty good. Way more than pretty good. Way more pretty good. Anyway, we will see you guys on, uh, on Friday. On, on Friday. That's right. Another news episode, and then we're going to continue this on uh, next Monday. We look forward to doing it with you. Take care.